some of the ways that he was flawed. And, and I know I've spent a lot more time looking at his mistakes than his positive things, which maybe not in heaven isn't, won't be quite fair as I, you know, if I get to talk to him. But, but keep that in mind. He, he, is a, he in so many ways served the Lord in wonderful ways, and yet we're still learning from, from some of the mistakes that he made because really that's where we live. And so let's begin by, by looking at Hezekiah's world. We'll start at 2 Kings chapter 18, looking at verse 9 for a, a few verses, and then we'll move to 2 Chronicles. This is God's word. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, the king of Israel, that would be the northern kingdom, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. That means he took all of the northern kingdom. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel, Samaria, was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, in the city of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed their covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's Anacharib, the son of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So this is ten years later. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 20 talents of, 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the te- doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartim, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with the great army from Lachish to king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out from them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder. So you see there in a snapshot, northern kingdom gone away, destroyed within 10 years. The king of Assyria comes down, takes many of the fortified cities, and is now standing on the doorstep of Jerusalem, and his emissaries will soon mock the Lord and demand ultimate surrender. So let's go now and look at Second Chronicles, where we'll be spending most of our time this is Second Chronicles, chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. And this is, this is a parallel passage. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, this is all the good things Hezekiah has done in, in tearing down the altars and, and holding the Passover and organizing the sanctuary, Zennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Zennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brooks that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. 
And he also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly, saying to them, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the hordes that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord of God to help us to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Please pray with me. Father, would you take our hearts, would you make us hungry for your word? Spirit, would you impress on us your greatness today? Would you energize us to hear what you have to say? That we would go out encouraged and empowered people for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, Hezekiah is living in a changing world, and if there is one thing today that seems constant, it is change. We are in a, a new century, and we have experienced this last year, a war in a different, in a different continent. We have had a, a virus that has spread throughout our world the last three, two years, I suppose. And we could only ask, well, what if, what if it was as contagious but worse? You can see the results of the virus and the war. There's, there's, uh, there's famines. There's perhaps will lead to food Prices skyrocketing, which leads to revolts. Many of you felt the, the pinch of inflation, of finances being eroded, the uncertainty of the situation. You can think about the change of our country. America is declining across the world stage. It's very clear that, that her power is eroding. You can see the change in our country, that everything's become political. There's, there's this divide that's happening. When I was... Listening to a podcast, the Civil War, the American Civil War in 2017, they were talking about what our country was like right before the Civil War. And I thought, wow, that, that sounds a lot like now. And it wasn't long after that, people were starting to say, social commentaries, that Civil War and secession is not probable, but it's, it's a possibility in our country, something I wouldn't even thought about when I was a child 30 years ago. You can see the, the moral change, the way that what we've viewed as good has changed, that the, the, we've changed by the type of heroes that we idolize. We've gone from people who, who have done great things to often people who are, who are victims. We, we see things like, you might see the, the child rate, the birth rate dropping below replacement levels in all of the Western world and even in our own country. The only reason we grow is because of immigration. You can see a change of an intolerance of ideas that is going to make it very hard to communicate and maybe lead to persecution or, or disagreements. And that's just all outside the church. And, and then you look at inside the church and the, the concern about the theological foundations that might be crumbling. Um, the, the way that people now view sexuality as, as not clearly defined in scripture, that have different views of that. The, there are Christians who are saying, you know, the atonement, well, maybe there's different theories and maybe Jesus didn't have to die as our substitutes. That's a, that's a thought that's being bounded around. People are saying, maybe the Old Testament's not really so necessary. Maybe we can unhitch that. I'm not quite sure if the doctrine of hell, that truth, is, is, is really what Scripture was teaching. You see uh, people my age and younger leaving the church. You see, sadly, the political and social divides that's, that's in our country working their way into the church. And then you add the, the materialism, the apathy, the lack of community that saps spiritual vitality, also fighting against our, our, our church. And I look at that and say, wow, that's it's pretty easy to just see nothing but troubles and be pretty depressed. What a wonderful world. 
But you know, this really isn't anything new. If you went back a hundred years ago, people could talk about the change of technology in society. Christians would have talked about how concerning it is to have the thoughts of evolution and, and the individualism of romanticism and the unbelief of liberalism coming into America from Europe. The, the foundations of abortion were already being laid. Um, the, the modern education system with its atheistic goals was being set up as from which the fundamentalist movement was reacting against. A uh, hundred years ago, people thought, wow, all this change is terrible. It's really much of history. And, and that's what we see in Hezekiah. And so today, here, here's the point of the sermon. When you see all this change and it, it concerns you, cheer up. You have less control than you think. Sure enough, you have less control than you think. I want us to look at Hezekiah's world and, and see how unhelpful it is to give into those temptations, just to grab wildly at other solutions that might present itself when you see these troubles. The temptation is to let the shadow of this world blot out the shadow of God's kingdom. And rather the call to be faithful and unwavering in a time of constant change. Well, let's go back to Hezekiah's situation. He was put in a test. In fact, later in Chronicles 32, it says the Lord left Hezekiah there to test him. And he is in a very difficult spot. Assyria is back and worse than ever. Assyria has been a world power. It's been a player on the stage of the ancient world for centuries. It was originally a small country. And then as it gained a a professional fighting force, one of maybe the first ever, it expanded into a regional superpower. And it it rose and fell. Um, Its influence often depending on the strength of its kings, among other factors. And so Assyria had been dormant for several centuries, or at least not as powerful. There were actually, there were even some Israelite kings in the north who, who banded together, which would normally have been their enemies, the, the people of, of Samaria and, um, and the, their, their, their surrounding enemies. And these little groups pushed back the Assyrians because they were, they were plagued with infighting. But now Assyria is back. They're meaner than ever. And they seem unstoppable. Remember, these were the people that delighted in cruelty. If you went to an Assyrian state dinner and you went into their palaces, there would be frescoes of them torturing people. That's, that was their state policy. It was terror. And, and it wasn't just because it was effective. There's, it seemed like they truly enjoyed doing it. And during Hezekiah's reign, they also seemed to be unstoppable. They, they crushed a Babylonian uprising. The Babylonians would eventually gain the upper hand, but they had crushed them. They had they'd swooped down and deported the northern kingdom. Their armies seemed relentless. And then it turns out that Hezekiah is just as helpless as those around him. It mentions in both of the, the, the chapters that we mentioned that the king sent his soldiers from Lachish. Well, what does that mean? Lachish was one of the stronghold cities that Hezekiah had built up to stop the Assyrians. That was his bulwark. That was his firewall. It's gone. Zennacherib claims to have captured 46 towns and over 200,000 people. And he, he makes this boast in his, in his records. Hezekiah was made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. Got him penned up. Well, if anyone felt his world was collapsing, it was probably Hezekiah. Well, how did he respond? Well, we can point out to some failures that Hezekiah made. And again, remember that the, the chronology is is a little uncertain in some of these times because often the writers would group the history by themes. And so it's hard to know exactly when some of these things happened. But we read from the passage in first, Second Kings, Hezekiah tries to buy off the king of Assyria. He, he gives him tribute. 
This is a clear lack of trust. It sadly results in stripping the temple of its glory, of its human glory, and also seems to have no effect. Right? He, he sends all this tribute, and sh- shortly after, the army arrives in the doorstep of Jerusalem. But that's, that's, that's an attempt. What, what, what can I do? I'll give you this. Will you go away? If you remember from previous sermons, he received the Babylonian envoys. This probably happened before the fact, even though it occurs later on in in scripture and was looking to form alliances, which God said also not something that his people can do. You could even make a case that that as we see in Second Chronicles, as Hezekiah is preparing for battle, that he is placing too much confidence in his preparations. Now, you could read this as simply him being faithful. He sees the threat. He responds to the threat. And then with those, those words, be strong and courageous, he rallies the people to ask, act in faith. But one commentator says, maybe not. Maybe, maybe this is different. Instead, verses 1 through 5, where he's doing all these things, are instead of the wise, they are wise responses. But Hezekiah has, shows a good bit of self-sufficiency and placing his confidence here. And, and then if that's the case, those, that speech, verses 6 through 8, where he says, be strong and courageous, is saying the right things, but his actions are actually saying something else. Now, I'll tell you why this could be the case. First, in, in verse 1, after these things, those acts of faithfulness might be talking about a, con- a contrast, where Hezekiah was faithful before, now he's acting on his own strength. He built up his own forces, There's nothing inherently sinful in this, but in the other parts of Chronicles where kings are mentioned with having large armies and it's said to be a good thing, it's because the Lord has blessed them due to faithfulness. Here, Hezekiah is scraping his armies together because he sees this threat coming. Could be relying on his own strength. It's it's definitely a very different order than, say, King Jehoshaphat. In uh, chapter 20, verses 3, King Jehoshaphat is faced with what seemed to be an unbeatable enemy. And when he finds this out in verse 3, he says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So there it's, you, know, you hear the threat, you seek the Lord, and then you act. Here, Hezekiah sees the threat, he acts, and, and then he seeks the Lord. I think the most convincing thing, at least provocative idea here, if you turn to Isaiah, is that it seems that the prophet Isaiah, who was a a contemporary of Hezekiah, Isaiah chapter 22, if you want to turn there, seems to cast doubt on what Hezekiah did. Isaiah chapter 22, verses 8 through 14, listen to what he says. In that day you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest. You saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem. You broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two waters, walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. There's building up water. There's, there's making the weapons. That's what Hezekiah did. Is he the one that Isaiah is talking about? Well, they're contemporaries. If, if that was the case, then his speech then, being strong and courageous, you know, the, the Lord is with us. Well, that's true, but it might not really be where his heart is. So let's just stop and ask, what interpretation is it? 
Stories are hard because sometimes they don't say this is what it means. In fact, sometimes the author leaves it open-ended maybe to get you to think about what he's talking about here. But that, that gives it more power because you have to step in and identify with it. I should just say you need to be careful about getting you know, new and brilliant interpretations from a story. If someone says, hey, I have this great new truth from Scripture and you get it from a story and you don't see it anywhere else, it's, it's probably not a great insight. It's probably something that you should be cautious of. But here you can make the case, I think, either way. Hezekiah, after grasping at some other ideas that failed, is faithful in the moment. Or he could be spiritually checked out and he's trusting in his own plans. Or, as might be the case, it was a mixture of both. Have you ever had a time when you are praying and you're trusting God and all of a sudden you experience that shock and you find yourself all of a sudden reaching off of that last, that the lead, that, that, the, the, the ledge, the, gra- the rock, and grasping for something else kind of wildly all of a sudden. It's like, I'm in this place of faith. I'm in this place of faith. There's a shock. What do I do? Once again, I think it's easy to identify with Hezekiah. Each of us, you know, you know what it's like to be out of control, to see something that seems unstoppable. You're trapped, you're helpless, and you grab out for your own plans, your own resources, some other ally, and you make that your main hope instead of God. And that's just your normal everyday life. That's not with this ruthless army bearing down on you. Well, cheer up. Like Hezekiah, you have less control than you think. So what's some of the applications here? Well, the first is that, see from Hezekiah, be, beware the temptation to flail helplessly, to, to look for something else. Instead, rest in Jesus. And it, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe it's just being in our Western individualistic world. I don't think so, because Hezekiah wasn't there. But it's easy to get theological blinders on in this world and think it's all up to me. I've got to make this happen. You're faced with, well, no, life-altering sickness. Or your, your job is threatened. Your, your relationship with one of your children is, is, is on the rocks. Whatever it is, something that you love or something, someone that you value is threatened. And of course that's going to spur you on to take action. But then it's easy to start to believe that, take that step from responsible action to believe that it's all on me. I'm the one that has to make this happen. I'm the one. You know, sometimes this... This can lead to adopting foolish or even unbiblical measures. We talked about how our churches are, are in a lot of ways shrinking today. And so a church can, can see this and, and they can start trying you know, new church growth strategies that are guaranteed to work. Adopt this music style and you'll grow. Nothing wrong with changing music necessarily. But the problem is with these types of things that you know, I can control what's going to happen. Sometimes it means holding too tightly to your plans. I'll give you a personal example. The Lord showed me as I've been going through my cancer treatments how I can put too much stock in my own personal plans during a crisis. Now, normally, normally a pretty mellow guy, laid back, but I found that on the crisis, yeah, I stay that way, mellow on the surface, but yet underneath, I respond by making plans. Plans aren't bad. You don't have a plan. You plan to fail. All that. But the Spirit showed me something in the past month about these plans. These, these plans that I make, I get really concerned about them. I started thinking about them a lot. It's, um, it's, it's almost like I have blinders. Now that I've made this plan, this is how it has to be. This is the way out. And if it's not, then something's wrong. I've found that it's not just a pattern in my cancer, but 
way back when I was um, having problems with my eyes and becoming a chaplain. Some of you might even remember this eight years ago. There was, there was a question with my eyes that, that might have prevented me from becoming a chaplain, which would have, which would have uh, also affected a lot of other things. And I, I realized how frantic below the surface I could be sometimes. And here's some of the things that I, I, I just saw about myself. I would get frustrated if my plan started to fail. I'd start to become very worried. All of a sudden, if plan A wasn't working, well, then I'd have to make plan B and C. And they weren't particularly thought out because they are on the spur of the moment. Kind of frantic, wild, clouding my judgment. The funny thing is, if you asked me during this time, Andrew, do you believe that God is in control? Of course, I'd say. Andrew, are you praying about these things? Of course, I would say. I believe that God is sovereign. But then if you knew me so, you know, enough to, to ask me this question, say, okay, so Andrew, why are you so invested in these plans? Why do they matter so much to you? Could it be that you think in some way it really is all up to you? Here's the one sneaky thing about our hearts. Right? You, can, you can believe one thing and act like another is true. That's the disconnect. Proverbs 20 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Sometimes our hearts are full of turmoil, and on the surface it looks like, yes, we're, we're trusting God, we believe he's all-powerful, and yet underneath we, well, no, it's really up to us. Well, what we're saying here is by faith you can place your plans in God's hands. And here's the great part, that when you do and you, you work hard and pray, then, then you can leave it to confidence in him to confidence. And, and you don't have to freak out. You don't, you don't have to worry because it's not ultimately up to you. Well, let me give you another example, uh, I think, which was a positive thing. I, I, I'm speaking for myself, but also the session here. You know, what um, Pastor Dick had told us ahead of time that of his plans for retirement, and it's wise, I believe, to, to start looking quite a bit down the road. You, know, you want to get ahead of these things, and, and you want to plan, plan preemptively, and I, you know, I like that statement from, you know, they say of some football teams, they don't rebuild, they just reload. You know, there's no, no this time, you know, wasting around. You got, you got someone in the pipeline, you're ready to go. That's generally a wise thing. And so we as a session had been thinking about succession plans for a while. And in fact, we had a meeting called November, uh, in November of 21, asked the church to come, you know, get ready for a short congregational informational meeting because we're going to tell you all and we're going to, you know, we're going to get this all rolled out. Of course, two weeks earlier, I was in the hospital and got a biopsy and got a preliminary diagnosis. And then a week later, confirmed diagnosis of cancer. And we said, look, we, we can't tell the people, by, you know, um, your senior pastor's retiring. Oh, by the way, your associate pastor has cancer. Grace and peace. Um, it's just not wise. The Lord's saying, put the brakes on this. And so we, we moved it to January, February. Definitely my sickness has, has moved back the, the pastoral succession plans. Now, question, wouldn't it better, humanly speaking, to be further along in the process? Yeah, yeah, it would. But um, only God knows. And he said, that might be a wise plan, but it's not my plan for Faith Church. And I think, I, I can only speak for myself, I don't know about the session, but I was able to say, okay, Lord, what do you got for us? Put it aside. Your plan is better. Bring it on. He's had other things for faith. He's had other things for me to learn by going through this time of sickness. 
And I hope that you can see that when your God is offering you freedom, when you can put aside your plans and trust in him. I hope, I hope freedom from incessant worries, from, from failing from one plan to another, from wasted energy, from frustrations when they fall apart. No, we, we plan and work in faith, but then we leave results to God. So that's the first part. Don't flail around. Rest in Christ. Second is when faithing, facing difficulties, that's a time to re-examine and realign your efforts with the king's will. Now, now Hezekiah had all these plans. Some of them weren't good at all. Maybe, maybe some of them were. We don't know. But they don't work. Until he only has one plan left. And that's where we, we stop, where, where the enemies are at the gate and they're demanding, they're, they're mocking the true God of Israel. They're demanding unconditional surrender. And so Hezekiah goes to the prophet Isaiah and he asks the Lord and to, to hear and protect his people. And, and God does respond. Listen to what God says to Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19. First of all, verse 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Zanakarib, the king of Assyria, I have heard. And then he denounced his judgment on him. And then verse 35, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Hezekiah found that plan after plan failed him. He finally only had one thing he could do, which was drove him to the Lord in trust. Who in this case delivered him. He had to realign himself with God's will, humbly trusting in him. And troubles should be a time of reflection when we come and ask the Lord, where, where do we need to change? Now, let's be clear. Not all troubles come because you've been sinning or someone sinned against you. I mean, as far as I know, my, my cancer is not something that came because I was a poor steward of my body or any of these things. Maybe someday the Lord will reveal that to me, but I don't see that right now. But troubles are a good time to do some search, ask some searching questions. Life isn't going well for me right now. Am I missing something? Do I have the wrong priorities? Am I acting in disobedience? Here, here's an example. You know, just... Maybe you find yourself always tired and stressed and frazzled. And then you look at your schedule and you realize that you don't really slow down on Sundays. You know, you're, you're so busy throughout the week that the light bleeds into it. And so you've got to catch up on errands and paperwork and there's sports practice for the kids. Now, God calls us to set Sunday aside, to make it a special day, a day of rest and worship. But instead of being that day of recharging... It's become a gauntlet that begins your week where you start Monday haggard. In that case, you would say, Lord, I need to restructure my life. I need to cut something out so that I can rest on Sunday and begin the week fresh. That would be an example of I need to realign my priorities. I need to. So what about church growth? You know, we talk about the American church is losing numbers. People my ages look at the numbers and younger are less are more likely to leave church. This should provoke some self-searching. Now, clearly, there's a lot happening outside of us in our culture, which is we can't control. But, but are there any ways that we have communicated to have uh, contributed to this as a church? You think about it, in America, we have the, the double-edged luxury of a culture that, for for centuries, accepted the Bible as valuable and taught a sort of kind of civic Christianity where everyone goes to church whether they believe it or not. And 
you know, looking back at my own life and, and, and recent church history, I think that's made us, to some extent, weak in discipleship. You know, we haven't had to spend the time and effort asking, what does it mean to be a countercultural follower of Jesus? Because, well, by and large, everyone is okay with Jesus, at least in the surface. You know, that's a, that's a big topic. We'll be talking about that in sermons and Sunday schools to come. But, but do you see how it would be wise to say, as we look at this pressing this problem, Lord, you know, before we have done our best. It's not like we've been actively disobeying you, but it's, it's not going well. Is there something we've been missing? Would you show us? Are these troubles of our time to have us re-examine ourselves and, and, and the, the Lord's word is an anchor that keeps you sane as, as, as we're bobbing down in the sea, you know, as, as you're getting ripped around in the sea, it's easy to get blown off of that anchor. And we come back and say, Lord, ground us. Ground us. You know, the world is changing overnight. I, I find it so fascinating how public figures go from heroes to villains in, in just seconds today. Kids, you know this better than me. You know, you may have heard of a, a guy named Barack Obama. Um, he was a president for eight years. Many of you kids were probably born while he was president. And you know, when, when he was first elected, many people, there was a poster that showed him you know, kind of a picture of hope. You know, many people were just so, so encouraged and, and just praying that he would bring hope. And um, I just heard you know, like last year, there are some people on, on his own political side that now say, you know, he's not progressive enough. They just, he's a has-been. Or, you know, maybe you've heard of a guy named Elon Musk, kind of quirky and does all, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he was, you know, saved the world by making electric cars. And then he buys something. Oh, he's racist. And my, my point there is, you know, not to approve or disapprove of anyone's politics, but just that in the world's eyes, it, it, in five minutes, what's trending changes. We can't, it's hard to keep track of it. What God calls you to do is saying, no, no, you don't. You, be anchored in my world. And be faithful. It doesn't mean we keep our hand, head in the sand and we're not looking out there or not interacting with the world that's changing. But what's it mean to be faithful? We prioritize ourselves and go back to God's world. We can, we can say, Spirit, would you show us what it looks like to be followers of Jesus right now? And that brings us back to the central point of today's message. Cheer up. You have less control than you think. What's so cheerful about that? Because you're not in control, but God is. And at the end of the day, right, it wasn't any of Hezekiah's clever attempts and even maybe, maybe wise and, and necessary attempts as a leader which stopped Assyria. It was God. Boom. Stopped them in their tracks. And the scripture tells us that God is all-powerful. He's completely in control of every situation. The theological term that we talk about this, used to talk about this, is that God is Sovereign. Can everyone say that? God is sovereign. Right? You don't use that word too much in the try, you know. Put put that on Twitter or something like that. So God is sovereign. But it's it's the idea of a king literally has the word reign in it, sovereign, right? It's the person who's the supreme ruler possessing supreme and ultimate power. It's what we confess from the Westminster Confession that God is in complete control. Now, if you're a Christian, you believe this implicitly. We say the Apostles' Creed almost every week, every other week, and what it begins with is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You just, you could stop and camp out there. Almighty, He's created everything. I hope you realize how incredibly practical this is. 
Wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself, is your God is in control. Once again, this is incredibly freeing because God has not promised you a pain-free life. After all, Jesus says, take up your cross, instrument of torture, and follow me. But he does promise you a life where God will use you in a way that brings him glory and fulfills your purpose. You know, point to my experience again with cancer. It's not fun. It's humbling. It's still, still slow and life seems to be whizzing by faster than I can go. But I can see in the way God has been and, and is and will be working in that. And I can trust that God is sovereign. He's the one that allowed that. He's the one that chose that. And we can ultimately trust in God, not, not because he stopped the Assyrians for Hezekiah, although that is, that's a pretty incredible feat, but because that Jesus as God and man came and showed his sovereignty on the cross. Did you know that when, when Jesus came and he died for his people for the sake of their sins, it's the most powerful and mysterious demonstration of God's sovereignty, his control? God, God was all-powerful, and yet in Jesus he came and he took on the sin of his people. And, and he chose to do that before all time. Because if, if he chose you and he knew that he would need to redeem you, he, need, he knew there would have to be a redeemer. And he won a victory on the cross far greater than what happened when Hezekiah was rescued from the hordes in Assyria. He, as we sung today, he's, he's won over sin and death and Satan. This is not a temporary deliverance. God's plan is before time. He could not be stopped. And the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's power in a way that turns the way that we look at power upside down and accomplishment. Right? So what does this mean? This means there may be very hard times, but God is in control and he will win the final victory. And I want you to leave here this morning acknowledging that you have much less control over your life than you think. And so, therefore, live a life of faith in the God who does. So where are you this week? What are your challenges? You get up tomorrow, you may be battling fatigue or pain, depression, loss, disappointment. You look to the cross. Wherever I am, I serve a God who is in control. I lay down the certainty of my plans. And I will live faithfully, expecting him to act. Please pray with me. Father, you choose us not because we are strong, but because you love us. We're aware of our weaknesses. Thank you for a text where we see a good and faithful leader and his faith falter. His, his resources limited. And how you brought him to the brink of himself to show your glory and to rescue him. Thank you that we as your people can do the same thing. Thank you that when we stop back and we look up at you, the more that we look at you, the smaller our problems become. We look forward to the final day, regardless of what happens. We will see the face of our Lord Jesus who died for us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.